Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 30. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. All right, good morning. Great story right there. How are we doing today? All right, that was kind of weak. You've got to be honest with you. Hope you're doing all right. Um, 
it's, it's been a crazy week in our house and in the, in the life of our church, but it's good to be here. And we get to deal with one of the, the, the pivotal moments in the story of Christianity, one of the great stories this morning. So I'm excited to share this with you, to interact with this story. Um, if you didn't grab your Bible before we read, we'd invite you to do that now. Turn to Acts chapter 9, find it in your app or your uh, you're, you're, if you've got a paper Bible, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have some baskets at the end of a few of our rows. We'd invite you to grab one of those and, and read along with us in there, uh, in, in the book of Acts here. And uh, uh, I'm not sure what page we're on, so if somebody finds it in that, shout out. Somebody grab one of those Bibles. Josiah, grab one of those Bibles and tell me what page we're on. Oh, there it is, one, 1016. So you can join us there in that uh, place in the scripture. We would love for you to read along this amazing story. Um, we love to tell people about Jesus. And over the years, one of the ways we've done that is we, we have, we didn't find this, but we have used it often. In fact, uh, I saw uh, a version of our youth camp shirt and saw that it has what I'm about to show you on the back of it. Just some simple illustrations or images that picture the basic gospel story, the basic story that we find uh, that is central in all the Bible about Jesus. Because all of Scripture is all about Jesus all the time, and it is to lead us to see the beauty of what he did for us and offer us the hope of redemption and salvation. And so one of the things we've done, we do every year, is we create these wristbands. In fact, i got a picture of one up here for you so you can see it. These wristbands that we use to share this simple gospel story. And, and it's a pretty simple acrostic. You can see this. Um, you know, we, we have taken this in other, uh, to other nations. I was actually in an airport in Haiti with this on the back of my shirt. And there's an old song called, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High, that talks about he came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. It kind of follows us. And this lady behind me, tapped me on the shoulder and started singing that song in Creole in the airport in Haiti because she saw that on the back of my shirt. She got the images. Basically, images that the first arrow far left says that Jesus came and lived the perfect life among us, how God became human and lived with us, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, but three days later he rose again. And then we all, like we hear Genesis having a little fun because he, show me everybody, he ascended back to heaven, right? Went back to be with God the Father, having paid for our sin. But one day he's coming back again. A simple version of the gospel story. And we've been handing out these bracelets and putting this on t-shirts, offering this because we believe that when people hear the beauty of the gospel, that Christ can save them. So, so we're in Charleston this year. We go down there. We've been handing out these bracelets for uh, 14, 13 years now to kids who show up. Kids show up, one of the things every night, we give them a bracelet, and then they end up in the Bible story. Every year, we make sure that our Bible story includes the explanation of these images on the bracelet, just a simple thing. Then they've got it on the wrist. They can remember this. Uh, we put it on, uh, we, like, we're wearing bracelets. I see I've worn this bracelet around. Uh, kids will wear it around all summer. Uh, it's just a simple way for us to, to easily explain the gospel. So we're there on, th uh, on the, the third night of Charleston. We're just hanging out. And this, this young man, whose name is Austin, shows up. Uh, Scott Pacino, one of our members, called him and, and asked him just to come hang out. So he showed up at like 10 o'clock, 
A lot of you were already in bed if you were in Charleston, already kind of winded down. But he came and we spent about an hour just talking about. And, and Austin, the first time he showed up, he was 10 years old. He was actually the only white kid that showed up like in, in our kids' club. We had like 120 kids and he was the one white kid showed up just walking in. Uh, but, but we got to know him and all his friends. And over the years, we got to share Jesus with them. He got involved in the ministry down there and the Lord really blessed him. Uh, he went away to college uh, actually. Um, and, and after he got done with college, he came back uh, to live in the, the, the neighborhood. He is actually a school teacher in the city of Sykeston now. It's just cool. To, it was cool to hear his life. And as we were sitting there talking to him, I saw his, his sleeve kind of came up and I saw something that caught my attention right here. I want to show you a picture of what caught my attention on his sleeve. Check this out. And I was like, dude, you got those symbols. And he said, you came all those years that you kept giving me those rubber bracelets and telling me about Jesus. He said, but the last rubber bracelet you gave me several years ago finally wore off where the images were gone. And I decided I was just gonna put it in my arm where it would never go away. That's pretty cool, right? That was really exciting to hear, man. It just blessed me. You just never know when you share this good news how it's gonna impact people's lives. And we saw that front and center in his lives, other people there. We love to tell people about Jesus. And the reason we love to tell people about Jesus is because we firmly believe this, that no matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is, that the God of this universe loves you and has offered redemption and salvation to all people. That our job is to make that known, to let people know who he is and what he is all about, to share this simple story, because our God saves. Now, now, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, this means that Christ has done something that is beyond your comprehension. I don't think we grasp it most of the time. But the Bible has all kinds of images of what God has done, that his salvation is not like, sometimes I feel like, well, I'm a pretty good person. And what God did is God just took a pretty good person and made him a little better. That is not what happened. And the Bible uses this imagery about the fact that the salvation that God has offered is whole life, all of me, all, all redeemed, that God has done an amazing work. In fact, let me give you some of the images in the scripture of how God, what, what God tells us in the scripture was accomplished in us because of Jesus Christ. We are told that our salvation is forensic. In other words, the word justification is used, that God's justice and his wrath his, his settled anger about the evil in the world was set against us, that we deserved God's justice. But in the place of justice, God has forgiven us and given us pardon, that God has forgiven the sinner. The, 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 the uh, salvation of God is freeing. In other words, the Bible talks about the fact that we are slaves to our sin, but because of the cross of Jesus and the death of Jesus for us in our place that he has ransomed us and set us free from the slavery to sin. It is raising. It is a salvation that causes a dead person to come alive. The Bible talks about the new birth and tells us that we are resurrected in Christ and blind eyes are now seeing, deaf ears are now hearing, a dead heart is now full of the life of God, that the salvation of God is raising. It is cleansing that the salvation of God takes a filthy, we just sang this, filthy, stained sinner and cleanses us 
from that sin. The, the salvation of God is relational, that we have been separated from God because of our sin. But because of the cross of Jesus Christ and because of his salvation, we have been reconciled with God. We can know God. He can know us. We can be in relationship and, and, and have a relationship with God. It is a salvation that reaches down to our very identity, that once I was lost but now I am found. I am a new creation in Christ. The old me is dead. The new me is alive. And I have a new identity. It is a, like, like we are in a culture that is so wrapped up in identity issues. And the gospel and salvation says that my identity is given to me by God and it is beautiful and it is new and it is redeemed. It is a salvation that is full of affection because the salvation of God says that enemies of God are now made sons and daughters and brought into the family. The salvation that God offers us is all of me, all of life, totally redeemed, totally saved, totally rescued. That is good news. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, everything I just read is true of you. That that salvation, you may not feel like it all the time, but that salvation is true of you. And if you are here today and you are still wrestling with what it means to figure this Jesus thing out, you're not sure who he is. The offer I have for you is it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, or how far you've strayed. The, the God of this universe in his son Jesus offers you all of life salvation, redemption, wholeness. Now, now the question then is, who can this redemption reach? And I think this is sometimes where we all need to be challenged. Because we all have somebody in our head who goes, I don't think God could save that person. And, and we begin to say, I just, I, I can't love and forgive and I can't move towards and I can't have a relationship. So, so here's my question. Can, can the gospel, the good news, Paul, who this story we're reading about today says, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. But is it really? Can it really save? Can it really save a gay activist drug dealer who is imprisoned? Is, is the gospel really able to reach somebody like that? Is the gospel really able to reach a, a, a prideful politician? who ends up in prison destroying his life in a massive political scandal in the pursuit of absolute power. Can, can the gospel reach that person? Can, can the gospel reach a Muslim whose family was involved in the Iranian army? Can, can the gospel reach a feminist pro-choice women's right advocate who speaks all over the nation and in every one of her speeches looks at Christianity as the big evil in America. Can the gospel save that person? Can the gospel save a terrorist who turns his terror on believers of Jesus and kills them? Do we believe that a gospel can reach those sort of people? Now here's a little clue. I did not pull these out of the air. I just told you five true stories of people whom the grace of God has reached and people who were once rebels and, and uh, enemies of the cross 
are now not only saved, but redeemed. I just told you the story of Christopher Yuan, who's a professor at Moody Bible Institute. I told you the story of Chuck Colson, who went on to be with Jesus, but started a prison ministry that has led thousands of people in prison to Christ after he was convicted of being part of Watergate. I just told you the story of uh, David Nasser, a Muslim who came to Jesus, who actually, it was a friend of mine who led him to Christ, who now has preached Christ all over the nation and has made much of Jesus. I told you the story of Rosaria Butterfield, who is a follower of Jesus, who at once was a feminist activist who taught at Syracuse University, but God has changed her life. And the last story of the terrorists is the story of a man that we call the Apostle Paul, who is found in this text. This man, make no bones about it, the man that we look to and we read so much of his scripture started his life as a terrorist. That, that's how we meet him. He is basically the bag man, like the think mafia, you know, he's the guy who is carrying out the instructions of the mob boss to hunt down and get rid of anybody who's in the way for this group of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. We first meet him at the death of this guy named Stephen. Stephen is a follower of Jesus who, who was bold and passionate. And what happens is that uh, Paul, aka Saul, two names and you'll have to come later in the series to find out why, they, why there's two. Just realize, if I say Paul, I'm talking about Saul. If I say Saul, I'm talking about Paul. He has two names in the, in the story, and that gives you incentive to come back and find out why later in our series, right? But, but this guy Saul is standing over the body of Stephen as people are raining blows with rocks on his body, and he dies, becomes the first Christian martyr, and there is Saul standing there. Saul then begins a persecution in Jerusalem where he is going from house to house, arresting Christians, having them thrown in prison, and we're told in this text, involved in murders of Christians, that, that he literally is a person who is uh, hunting Christians down and having them executed, having them killed on behalf because of their faith, or at least having them thrown in prison. He is a terrorist who started a persecution against believers in Jesus that got so brutal that, like, like as we've been studying Acts, and by the way, if you're new to, to us, we'd like to work straight through books of the Bible. We're preaching this great book of Acts, this great story of how Christianity went from just a few people in a room to Tens and even hundreds of thousands of people in three decades spread all over the Roman Empire. This guy Saul is going to be important in that story. But right now he is breathing threats and hunting down Christians and involved in the murder of people who are following Jesus. He is terrorizing them. His, his, his murderous threats, his persecution caused the, the Christians in the city of Jerusalem, which were numbering in the tens of thousands, to flee and scatter and go all over Judea, Samaria, the region around, but even all over the Rome, what is now known as the Roman Empire. But it's not enough for Saul to get the people out of Jerusalem. Now we got to go hunt them down in other places. we got to stop this thing. we got to end this Christianity stuff. And what happens here um, is, is that we have this beautiful story, but don't miss who he is. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Look at what's going on in this guy's life. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that, he, so that if he found any belonging to, and I love, here's the first designation we have for Christianity in the New Testament, the way. Did you realize that you were members of the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and now we are part of the way. Uh, designate, and he said, belonging to the way, men and women might be brought them uh, might, might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What is Saul doing in this story? He is headed from Jerusalem to the city that is north and, and west of Jerusalem on the sea coast. It is a city that still exists today. In fact, we'll get to a point where in the story it talks about Straight Street. Straight Street is still a street in the city of D- Damascus. You, it, like, it's still got that name. It's a highway that runs through the middle of town, uh, but it's still, there's still a street in Damascus called Straight Street. And it's, it's on the border of, like right between Syria and Israel, part of Syria, but it's right at the edge. And what's happened is that there was already a large population of Jews, but a lot of the Jewish people who left Jerusalem scattered, and many of them went to Damascus. And now what Saul has done is Saul has gone and gotten a warrant for the arrest of these people. He is going to go to that city. He is going to hunt them down. He is going to arrest them. If they resist arrest, he has uh, from the right from the, the synagogue to now harass them, to brutalize them, to beat them, and even maybe to kill them. This is why he's on what we call the road to Damascus. And if you've never heard that phrase, the road to Damascus, welcome. There it is. Because this Bible story, uh, anywhere you go, is called the story of the road to Damascus. It is where God meets Saul and changes his life. It's where Christ confronts Saul face to face. And I just picture like this moment. Because the story is just so beautiful. We have to start by understanding who this guy is at this moment. What happens is a lot of us, if you've grown up in church, you know where the story ends. You know that this guy is going to go from murder to missionary. He is going to become one of the most important missionaries, if not the most important, and maybe the most important theologian not named Jesus in the whole history of humanity. But on this day, he is a murderer who's breathing down threats. And on this road to Damascus, he's going to meet Christ face to face. I imagine Jesus up in heaven going, Hey, Moses, Gabriel, angel, come here, come here, check this out. <laughs> See Saul and they're going, I hate that guy. It's just like all these people are now in heaven because of him. And it's good that they're here, but this is not cool. And check this out. I'm going to save him today. <laughs> I, I'm going to meet him. They're like, wait, what? You're going to do what? Yep, I'm going to meet him and save him. This is what's going on in the story. So, so the story is just beautiful, but what the story points us to so beautifully is just this, this amazing uh, truth that, um, that Christ saves all people. He saves all sinners and uh, anybody who will turn to him and that Christ is able to save the worst of sinners. And on, in this story, he saves the apostle Paul, saves Saul, uh, and who becomes the apostle Paul. He's not there yet. Uh, and so... Uh, <clears throat> This, this beautiful story is though, and here's the point, I, the big point I want to make. It's not about Saul. The, the, the story of the road to Damascus is really not about Saul. It's not about Paul. It is about who? It's about Jesus. This is the story of the God who saves 
This is the story that gives hope to all of us because he is the God who saves. And what I want to do is just journey through this story. As I journey through this story, I want to point out the God who saves and show you some truths about this God from the story as he interacts with Saul. I want to help you see the beauty. If you're a follower of Jesus, the beauty of your salvation and the call in that salvation for all of us. But if you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure, I don't know what this means, I just want to offer you the beauty of salvation that can reach all people, including this guy, this terrorist. I want you to see that Christ is sufficient to save any person, no matter what their story. And so I want to share with you five great truths about the God who saves this morning from this story. Five great truths about the God who saves. And the first great truth I want to tell you about the God who saves is that he is the God who wrecks our idols. He is the God who wrecks and ruins our idols. Now, now what happens in the story is that Saul is on his way to go uh, to meet um, uh, uh, to go uh, persecute these Christians. But the truth of the matter is the reason that is so important in the story is, is that you've got to understand why Saul is doing this. Saul does not see himself the way we see him in here this morning. He thinks he is honoring God. In his mind, he really has created an understanding of God. It is a very religious, deeply informed understanding of God. We find out in the story that Saul is a Pharisee, which means he is a Bible scholar. He has spent his whole life studying the Old Testament. He understands the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He has this firm understanding, uh, this firm sense of of. of this grasp on who this God is. He knows that this God in their past has judged them when they failed to keep the law. This God in the past has judged them when they have failed to honor the covenant with God and to keep his commands. This God has judged them when they embrace any other God except the one true and living God. He is fearful that if they don't walk with God and do what is right and live with righteousness and all these sorts of things, that it will mean that the Roman Empire will make it worse. That they will, and that the reason the Roman, Roman Empire is making it worse is because God has sent them, like Babylon in the past, is the arm of judgment. And he sees this drift toward Jesus as something that is going to ruin the nation and something that is going to lead all kinds of people away. This, this message of grace just can't be true. We must keep the rules. Saul, Saul represents all of us this morning in this. That, that here's what happens because of our brokenness, our sinfulness, where we are in the world, we are all on our own self-salvation experiment, okay? It looks different for each and every one of us, but we are, like our default moves us there. We are born this direction. We have an idea of what is good and right and true. We have an idea, therefore, of what salvation looks like, and, and we will create a salvation, and then we will begin to pursue that salvation. It looks different. There is a religious and an irreligious path of this, but we are all on it. The religious path looks like Saul. It looks like I keep the rules, I go to church, I get very angry at people who don't live right because God is going to get us if we don't get everybody to live just like I do, and that I'm on this path, I'm trying to make everything in the world right by being a good person, and, and I'm on this path of, man, I am going to save myself by being super religious. I end up twisting and tweaking the God of the scriptures to become a God who is a God who loves good people and therefore he's for me. But that God doesn't like you so much because you're not a good person. 
And so you end up with people with black hats and white hats who, who are good people and bad people because, you know, there's got to be a good God and that good God must love good people. Therefore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a path to my own salvation. I control the path, but that path is I'm going to save myself by being religious. And listen, every religion on the planet offers a form of this. Offers a form of this. There's a ton of this in Christianity. A ton of, I can look down my nose at you because I'm the good person. I go to church, I say my prayers, I, I, I am involved in service, whatever it is. And every, <coughs> every denomination, every Christian group, if we are not careful, will make the good news we are sharing sound like this. <coughs> if you grew up like I did in Baptist church, you don't drink, you don't cuss, you don't chew, you don't smoke, you don't date the wrong girl. You get dunked in a tank really early in life. <coughs> and then from there, you live a good moral life and God will love you. <clears throat> Got a tickle going on. If you grew up Catholic, it's sacraments. Just make sure you're there to do the mass, you get married in the church, baptize your kids. I mean, sacraments. If you grew up in more of a mainline denomination, they're going to tell you it's doing good acts of service, good works. <clears throat> but in all these, what we do is we set up a self-salvation experiment. I save myself by being religious, doing good things. <clears throat> and that's who Saul is. There's also an irreligious path that says, to heck with that, <clears throat> those religious people are nuts. And they don't have a clue what's going on. The way I'm going to save myself is through freedom. Through being the authentic self that I am. This is our culture right now. The way I save me is by being authentic to me. By, by, by letting the true me come out and living for myself and making sure that I shine. Listen, every person in this room, every person in this planet has a sense of what salvation is, has a path towards that salvation they are creating, and has reshaped God and spirituality to have a God who will give them whatever they think salvation is. <clears throat> if you think salvation comes in money, you will create a spirituality with a God who will give you all that you can get. If you think salvation comes through your freedom sexually, you will end up recasting and reshaping God to have a God who is just, just all about giving you freedom. If you think salvation comes from not having sex and being pure, you will end up with a chaste God who blows up anybody who disagrees with you. We will recast God to fit our sense of what salvation is. We will live on a path there, and as we are pursuing that path, either God will meet us on that path or God will leave us to that path. If he leaves us to that path, there is no hope. But if he meets us at that path, the only way, listen to me, church, the only way we meet redemption is for God to blow our idols up and lift our chins so that we see Jesus, who is the only true God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are still prone to those idols. Listen to me, you are. Saul had a massive pride base, like he was proud Arrogant, like how arrogant do you have to be? How prideful do you have to be to say, I am so right that I'm going to start killing other people who don't agree with me. But this is where he's at. And he believes he is going to be right before God, that there's going to be a place where God looks at him and says, well done for doing this. And in the midst of that, Jesus meets him on the, like, do you see the story? He is cruising along, feeling pretty good about going to Damascus, has warrants in his hand, 
to hunt down these people. And on that road, Jesus meets them face to face. But Jesus didn't just, doesn't just show up and go, you know, Saul, not a good idea. Jesus meets him, and the first thing that happens is there's a light that blinds him. He is left helpless. This arrogant man is left unable to even take the next step. The people have to grab him by the hand and lead him on the way. He is left blind because of the light. He hears a voice. The other people around him hear the voice. Don't understand it, but they hear the voice. They hear the speaking. But he hears the voice and he hears the words clearly. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? And, and, And catch this church. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus does not say here, why are you persecuting my people? Jesus so deeply identifies with the blood-bought, saved people of God that to mess with us is to mess with him. Why are you persecuting me? And this man who has now spent considerable time in his life learning about the, the true and living God, studying the scriptures, being a scholar, listen, hear this. You don't become a Pharisee unless you have the first five books of the Bible memorized. A lot of us in here have never read Leviticus, right? He is a scholar and, and a statesman. He knows that he is seeking salvation through knowledge and obedience and now fervor and zeal and now face to face the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul finds out, Saul finds out his name is Jesus. And everything he has lived for. You talk about deconstructing a faith. Just like that. Everything he stood for, every, the idolatry that he had set up in his heart, his own self-salvation experiment is blown up and exposed. It's over. Listen, we're on some path. And the God who is is the God who blows up our idols. He is not going to give us over to the salvation we want. He is offering us a salvation that is way better. But it comes through the end of me and my own self-salvation experiment and coming to trust in Jesus alone. He is the God who wrecks our idols. But second, he is not just the God who wrecks our idols. He is the God who includes his children. The God who includes his children. I love what happens in this story. Because the story quickly turns from here. Saul, he's now blind to being led by the hand and now doesn't eat for three days. <clears throat> but then the story in verse 10, look at it. Verse 10 tells us, Now, there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. Now, listen to me. God could have at this point, Christ could have at this point, saved Saul without anybody else's help. But look how God, for his glory and to his purpose, includes a man named Ananias. He he invites Ananias in the story. I can imagine Ananias, like, this is how I picture it. This is not from the Bible. This is how I picture it. Ananias has got his you know, his, his scroll open, he's reading through, he's drinking his cup of coffee and praying over the Psalms, and all of a sudden he hears the voice of the Lord in a vision say, hey, Ananias, I got a job for you. And I love this. Here I am, Lord, whatever you want. Look at that in verse, it's in verse uh, 10. <clears throat> the Lord said to him a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. Now, you, you got to read that in light of all of Scripture. This has happened a couple times in Isaiah chapter 6. God says, who will go for us? Who shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. In Genesis 22, 
God calls Abraham to go to a very tough place, and Abraham answers by going, here I am, Lord, I will go. Here is Ananias in that line of people who, before they know what the call is, before they know what they're being asked to do, their first response is, Lord, here I am. That's a good place to be, follower of Jesus. Here I am. But here he is. Here I am, Lord. All right. There's this guy whose name is Saul. Guy whose name is what? Guy whose name is Saul. And here's what I want you to do is I want you to go down to this straight street. I want you to meet him there. And I imagine Ananias, you know, he was praying now. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> and, and, and when you get there, I want you to lay hands on him and greet him. And I imagine at this moment, and it's, it's, it's hinted in the text, Ananias is like, wait, wait, wait. Um, Jesus, do you know who that guy is? Like, I, I get, like, I keep reading how you're sovereign in control of everything, but I don't think you know that guy. He, I, Jesus, I heard he was coming. He has a warrant for my arrest. It, Jesus, you, you want me to go meet him? Are you, like, Jesus, are you crazy? I don't think I can do that, you know? I, I, I can see this, but here he says, listen, you need to go because I'm going to use you in this story. I want to raise you up. This, this is the beauty of it, that the way God chooses to, to, to make a difference in our world, listen, God can save anybody at any point in time, but he has chosen that the primary method for the gospel to go to people is through our lips, through you and me, just going, here I am, Lord, whatever you want. I will live for you. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and, and the Lord lays somebody in our heart, and we go, I don't think you know who that person is. I don't, that person's a hot mess. I don't think you could save that person. And the Lord just lays that person in our heart. And our faithfulness and obedience, his, it's like he doesn't need us. But man, we're his kids and he gets, he chooses to use us. I mean, I remember all these jobs I used to do when my, my kids were like three and four years old. Remember that, parent? And you'd have these, you know, you'd be vacuuming or working around the house or trying to cook something or working in the garage. And here comes your kid, Daddy, can I help? You never, like, if you're a good parent, you never went, nope, get out of here. But you knew what that meant. Your kid's help meant more work for you, Right? But there was beauty when you included them in the job. This is what's going on. God, who could save Saul all on his own, he's already pro proved that, has chosen to raise up one of his followers and send him to Saul to be the instrument that he uses. And Ananias now becomes this beautiful part of this story. And he goes, and, and I love when he shows up, he puts his hand on Saul's shoulder and he calls him Brother Saul. Do you get that? Do you see the beauty of that moment right there? This is the God who not only wrecks our idols, this is the God who chooses to include his children in telling his story. This is the story of a God who had this nobody named Edward Kimball, who in 1855 was just a Sunday school teacher in a little church who just didn't amount to anybody, anything. You would never even know his name. But in the city of Chicago... Edward Kimball had, had 13 young men in his Sunday school class and, and heard the call of God, and he said, here am I. And Edward Kimball, in fear, said, knew he, he needed to go share the gospel. He knew this man who was a shoe salesman. This shoe salesman was in the stock room, and so I can imagine him walking in saying, where is Dwight? And they say, well, he's in the back room. And I can see this woman going, 
Nah, it must not be the Lord's timing and walk away. But he pushed past this and was nervous and walked into the back room and, and looked at this man named Dwight and began to share the gospel. And in the stock room of a shoe, shoe place where Dwight was a shoe salesman, Edward Kemble led Dwight L. Moody to Christ. Dwight L. Moody will preach eventually in his life to over a hundred billion people and see well into the millions of people come to Christ. Dwight Moody, who shares Jesus all over the place, there's a direct line, and, and I'm not gonna tell you the whole direct line, but you can find it. There's a direct line between this moment where Kimball walks into a shoe salesman to share Christ, and Moody preaches to this guy, who then, that guy raises up and preaches to this guy, and eventually that chain of events leads to the salvation of Billy Graham. And it all happened because of a nobody named Edward Kimball. The God who chooses to use his children. Like, that's crazy good news. He invites us into a story. This is also the God, the God who rescues his enemies. And that's what this story is all about. Here's Saul, who is just rescued. Rescued from a path that had him leading towards destruction, rescued by a path that had him deserving the wrath of God for the wicked, evil activity in his heart and the activity in his life. And check out some of the language. We're told, look at this, in verse uh, 15, we're told that he was chosen by God. The Lord said to, him, said to Ananias, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. Paul will go on to tell us, this man when he writes tells us that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That God says, I've chosen him. He is my instrument. He is my vessel. He is a clay pot that I'm going to fill with my spirit. It, it, we're told that he, uh, uh, he is kept secure, that no matter how much suffering, he will not fall away, and that he's going to suffer a lot for my name, but he will not fall away. Yeah, we're told that blind eyes see, that when he lays, Ananias lays hands on Saul, right, scales fall from his eyes, but don't miss the fact that there is another set of eyes that at that moment became seeing, right? That blind eyes were seeing, not just physicalized but spiritualized we're seeing the beauty of jesus that that he is filled with the presence and the spirit of god that he receives the filling of the holy spirit that christ saved his enemy and he responds by trusting in jesus by being baptized by entering into water and we're told that ananias had the privilege of baptizing the apostle paul later in the story of acts paul tells the story from his point of view he says this, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, <coughs> came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness to him to everyone who, that, who you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Listen, I just want to tell you, if you're here today, why do you wait? The Christ who is, you, you may feel alienated and far from God. You may feel like your sin is too much. Your, your failures are too deep. Why do you wait? They, they, rise, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation of God is beautiful. It is rich. It is available to you because of Christ. He is the God who rescues his enemies. And now the enemy 
the murderer, is a missionary. He is also the God who redeems a family. He's the God who redeems a family. What's really interesting in the text, and this is a really long text, I'd love to show you verse and places, but just hang in the story with me. See it, like, like, as I talk about this, see what happens. The story tells us right away that in Damascus, okay, so he's, Paul, Saul, is on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. Well, the Christians in Damascus are part of a church. They're like you and me. They gather for worship. They live in the community. They are loving their neighbors. They're living out the implications of the faith among their Jewish friends, even among Gentile friends. They, they are figuring out what it means to be followers of Jesus in a community of faith. Now, look at this. Look at what it says right here in verse uh, um, the end of verse 19. It says, In taking food, he was strengthened, and for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. If, if a murderer and a terrorist, somebody who had done something heinous, who had shot up a school, showed up in our church this morning, how, how would that person be received? If somebody who had done, done just the sort of thing Saul, could, he, could that person be with the disciples? Of course, of course, there's, there's care, protection, but, but would we love somebody who is an outsider? Would, if somebody who was an abortion doctor walked in this morning and was wrestling with what it meant to trust Jesus and came to faith in Jesus, would, would that person be received as a brother here? What God does is God saves Saul from his sin, but he saves them into a community. Paul now has a people, a different people. It's no longer the Sanhedrin. They're going to want to kill him. The rest of Acts is the story of those people trying to hunt down and kill Paul. The very people who sent him are now trying to get him. And, and the story is beautiful. In Damascus, he has these people. He starts preaching the gospel. He starts proclaiming Christ as the Son of God, but he is preaching the same thing. The rest of the community of faith is preaching. He is standing against people who are trying to refute Jesus and standing against them. He's doing the same sort of thing that, that Stephen was doing just a few chapters early, and Saul was one of the people who was there seeing him die. Now it's Paul doing the same thing, but he's in this community, and all of a sudden there's a plot to kill him. And it's disciples, it's the church who catch wind of the plot, and they come up with this crazy, like this whole weird, like scheme. And picture it, they wall around the city and they're letting him down the wall in, in a laundry basket in the middle of the night. Like something out of Les Mis, you know. And he, he then goes to Jerusalem. That's insane. I'd run the other way. You know they're going to want you there. But he goes to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, Everybody's like, uh, like the, he shows up on church Sunday morning and everybody's like, um, we know why you're here, we don't know what to do. And here comes this guy named Barnabas. We met him before as well in the story. Barnabas' name means the encourager. And Barnabas goes and wraps his arms around Saul and goes, man, let me take you to the apostles. 
Let's go meet Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and the 12. I'm going to take you in and introduce you to the guys who are leading this church. I'm going to go let you sit down with them and share your story. I'm going to be the one who builds the bridge. And a brother named Saul, or a Barnabas, becomes the bridge builder so that Saul is welcomed among the apostles. And then again, he gets this trouble in the city for preaching, and it is the church of Jesus who comes alongside him and, and helps him get out of town so that he doesn't die in, in a moment in this story who is caring for him. Do you see the beauty that God saved Saul, but he didn't save him to be alone. He saved him into a community. And the rest of his story is going and planting churches and forming communities and being part of the church of God. God saved him to a family. And the family is important even in this story. He is a God who saved us to a family. The last thing we see that is beautiful is that, that uh, he is a God whose grace is just hilarious. See, he's the God who wrecks our idols. He's the God who chooses to include his, his children. He's the God who saves rebels and enemies. He's the God who saves us into a family. And all this is just the story of the beautiful grace of God who can reach anyone. If you don't find joy and laugh, like not laugh because it's awkward, but laugh because it's glorious at the grace of God in, in your life, you probably don't get it. If you don't see the hilarity, the beauty, the wonder, the amazement of what Christ has done at the cross, you probably are still on one of those self-salvation paths who think God is just meeting you part way. The story of God's grace is that God saves sinners, but he saves sinners who come to the end of themselves, that we know wholly that we are saved only by grace alone. That's it. Grace alone. It is the grace of God that saves us. Nothing else. I'm not saved. If I'm trying to add one ounce of me into the mix of what saves me, if I'm like, it's because of Jesus who did this, this, and this, but I did this, I don't get it. When I stand before you this morning, I am telling you that I am a sinner who is far from God, who needed redemption, and it is all Jesus all the time. It is all of grace. Grace means that I am getting what I don't deserve. Mercy means that God has chosen not to give me what I do deserve. And it is all a grace. It is grace alone. And it is the grace of God alone that can save a murderer and make him a missionary. But it is the grace of God alone that can save a seven-year-old Baptist kid who grew up in a church place and saved me at seven and sustained me to 55. We look at the story of Paul, and, and a lot of us who, if you're like me and you grew up in church, you kind of have this churchy background story. We think, man, I wasn't as bad as him. The problem the problem is that I was. The trajectory of my life was still self-salvation, do it my way, and, and defend my right the same way. And the glory of Christ saving any sinner is a beautiful story. You have a story to tell a follower of Jesus, and that story, if you were truly a follower of Jesus, is the story of God's grace reaching you. And it's a good story is the story of God saving his enemy and making her his daughter, making him his son of cleansing and redeeming and restoring. And every story, including Saul's, is a reminder that no matter how far people have strayed, they are not beyond the reach of his grace. Who have you written off, follower of Jesus? Who have you looked at and decided they are just a pure enemy and I don't want to have anything to do with them? Who have you said in our culture who they're just evil and, and God has no use for them and 
Your hope is that God would judge them. Who, who, who is that in your mind? Is it somebody on the other side of the political aisle? Is it somebody who has a different set of social beliefs than you do? Is it somebody who just doesn't see the world the same way? Is it somebody whose skin looks different than you? Who is it that you have written off as too far for you to reach out to? Who has God laid on your heart and you've said, ah, I don't think God could ever save them? Your hope is not in them. It's in the God who saves Who do you need to add to your prayer list? Who right now is on your hit list? Do we really believe that Christ can save any person? And if you're here today and and your story is, you know, I came in this church, maybe you've been coming for a while, I just don't quite get this yet. Let, Let me offer you this, that the Christ who saved Paul is waiting here for you. He is calling to you. You can trust him today. And just like Saul, you can turn from you and trust in him and find the beauty of grace. The grace that takes enemies and makes them family. The grace that takes murderers and can turn them into missionaries. Right? Amen? And so here's what we're going to do. is The band's going to come up here. We're going to start singing. Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to sing some really cool songs that are about grace. And man, belt them out like you really, like you understand that Saul's story is not really that different from yours. That somewhere Christ met you and rescued you, right? So we sing from our heart. We give. We have an offering this morning. If you're a gift, a guest with us, it's not for you. Please don't give. Our offering is a time for people who are part of our church to give back because God has so blessed them. And so we give through the offering as a a response to the good grace of God. We don't give because we think we're saved by our giving. We give because we have been rescued and redeemed by a good God. And it's our free, joyful privilege to, to walk in obedience and trust him with our finances. We, we are going to pray and celebrate Jesus for a few minutes. But if you're here today and your story is, I haven't yet trusted in Jesus, let today be the day. Let these next songs be moments. Don't put it off anymore. Don't hold on. Don't, like, don't leave here without having a conversation. Let Christ do for you this morn, morning. Let this day be your road to Damascus. Let this space be the place for the rest of your life you were telling the story of I walked into that church on a Sunday morning and I heard that guy talk about this Saul. I didn't understand a lot of it, but this is what I know. My eyes went in blind and they came out seeing. And if that's you today, or if you just need prayer, if you're struggling and hurting, and you just need somebody to come alongside you, we have a space over here by these doors. We're going to have some people over here who are ready to hang out with you and talk to you. But if you're here today and you have not yet trusted Christ, or you're unsure if you have, come talk to us and let us walk you through what that looks like today. I'm going to pray, get off the stage. We're going to sing and worship Jesus. And we're going to let him work in this room to call people to himself. Lord, we love you praise you for this moment. Just ask for your mercy and grace. I thank you for the story of Paul, aka Saul, and how you rescued him on the road to Damascus. And I thank you how my story was as a young kid, but you found me there. And just you saved just as much of a rebel and saved me to something, a salvation that is so glorious and beautiful. So we're thankful for that today. And so we lift up our voices and our hearts to you in praise. In your name I pray, amen.